the Exxon, the Chevron, they were trading at valuation very, very low, like five, six times earnings. And, you know, we were post-COVID already, so the market had normalized, the price of oil was like, you know, reasonable. And so it was not justified. This energy, oil and gas, fossil fuels for the, you know, next five, 10 years are going to be, uh, and they say, hopefully, meaning if we accelerate the transition that is much needed. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to this new IBKR podcast. This is your host here, Guillaume Bouchabert from Interactive Brokers Singapore. I am joined by Stefano Grasso, portfolio manager for the Enhanced Value Fund in Singapore. How have you been since the last time we did uh, our podcast, Stefano? Hi, Guillaume. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm good. All good. Thank you. Since uh, last uh, episode, we actually launched a newsletter. Uh, it's called Chart of the Month. It's a short, chart-heavy, text-light, monthly kind of publication where we share uh, the kind of analysis that we look at uh, on our day-to-day research. Uh, it had quite some success. So the September issue had about 10 charts and the tilt to energy, our kind of uh, bigger exposure in the fund. So it's it's free to register. I encourage to everyone to sign up and I'll ask the team to put it in the pod the description. So, so it's going to be easy. Thanks. And actually, I have subscribed. So let's uh, now dive into the topic. So the overvalued market dilemma where to find value in an overpriced market. So first of all, can you tell us how you see the current market valuation? And do you think we are in a bubble right now? The the US market is is currently expensive by historical standards, but it is always difficult to predict a short and even medium term market move for really for the general investor. uh, The best solution is probably to dollar cost average over time into the market as the tailwind is always there and uh, you know year over year uh, the market should do well right so let's be maybe a little bit more specific here you just mentioned uh, about the u.s market and you say overall so i guess uh, where does a portfolio manager like you uh, look for value in this market we we are you know bottom-up stock pickers so we we, we tend to look at individual company however to source for ideas and find uh, interesting areas, we look also at uh, at macro level. And if you look at different, uh, you know, geography, sector, teams, and styles, you can clearly find a more heterogeneous picture than the synthetic, you know, uh, uh, price earning or whichever metrics you want to use to call the market overvalued. So, for example, within the S and P five hundred. The top 10 stocks account for about 90% of the performance year to date. And actually, in the last few days, 400% of the performance, meaning that the remaining 490 uh, stocks are actually have a flat performance. So there are you know, stocks that are around 10, 20%. And, and there might be uh, more value there uh, than in uh, the, uh, some of the high flyers that have been uh, running uh, year to date uh, into 2023. If if you look at uh, developed markets, 
even without going into emerging markets. Europe is definitely cheaper than US. Just to give you an idea, you have, you know, things like Norway, uh, and then, of course, you know, Spain, Italy, uh, Greece, uh, that are trading below 10 times earnings. And, you know, whereby the US market is trading uh, above uh, 21 currently uh, times earnings. So you can argue that these uh, within these areas, you can find reasonably priced uh, uh, stocks. Going into emerging markets, they are typically cheaper uh, than developed markets. And even excluding extremes like China, there is a sense of, I mean, historically speaking, these are uh, very, very more attractive from a pure valuation perspective. And then if you look at, you know, you cut the market in terms of sectors, you look at industrials, pharma, consumer staple events are much cheaper than uh, the information technology uh, running at 30 times earnings. So in general, I would say there are pockets of value and the value style uh, has never been cheaper compared to the growth that has been the long story, especially now with interest rates on the rise, uh, the market is, is, is should uh, mean revert and correct some of these excesses. Thanks, Stefano. One thing that you mentioned is about China. I have a lot of requests to know a little bit better about what's going on and what's your view on uh, China equity market. A lot of fund managers seems to be very cautious on China at the moment. So I wonder, isn't that so maybe a good time to apply Warren's Buffett quote to be fearful when others are greedy and to be greedy only when others are fearful? So would that buy on fear could apply on China sectors at the moment? I think it would. I mean, if I have to answer uh, gun to the head, <laughs> yes, it is one of those opportunities. The risk here is uh, outside what we usually uh, look at and, and try to price. Uh, so is outside the intrinsic of the companies that we look at. Definitely China has a number of very, very reasonably cheaply priced companies. And the problem is the geopolitical angle can really wipe it. And if, if we look at what happened to Russian uh, equities, they're basically uh, frozen and held in portfolio at uh, you know nominal value because of the sanctions and 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 everything that happened after the invasion of Ukraine. So you, I think, in the mind of an investor, there is this risk being uh, considered, and therefore they they are applying a, a discount that, of course, you can understand is very volatile because you can say you know it's twenty percent, you can say it's eighty percent, you can say it's uninvestable. As someone uh, said, I mean, from a you know economy perspective, China is we see a bit of a narrative that is over overdone in a way, but valuation are clearly uh, you know either a once in a lifetime opportunity or are going to be you know Russia v two uh, with a lot of uh, wounds to leak, so to speak. I see. I see. So maybe like uh, to rebound on that uh, and, and to expand it to another market, maybe uh, after China and due to China, I see a lot of um, interest in uh, Japan equities at the moment. And um, it seems that Warren Buffett also clearly took some very strong macro wise view 
by getting large footprint on this market with a top of the line tickers. So are you invested, you two, in, in Japan? And, and uh, what's your view on, on Japan equities in general? We are not in our portfolio. We don't have uh, specific Japanese uh, uh, exposure. Uh, of course, you know, Ch uh, Japan is a, is a big market and it's relevant for many of our portfolio companies in, in a way or another. But it's one of those markets like, uh, you know, uh, even the Singapore market that are kind of developed markets, but valuation historically have been uh, very low. Uh, and they've been very cheap markets. And that has to be with a relatively unfriendly shareholder attitude. Typically, these companies have, you know, a lot of cash on their balance sheet. They're not returning cash to shareholder. And, you know, I think we asked, we we participated in, a, in an event with the um, Tokyo Stock Exchange where they were describing the number of attempts that they are doing and seem to be working, by the way, to, to kind of uh, correct that. But I still think that the, the you know, one issue with, with Japan is that Japan is really for Japanese. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned, uh, you know, Warren Buffett example. And, and it's interesting you mentioned a macro play, because although Warren Buffett is a stock picker, I, I agree with you in this case is more of a macro play. He had a big advantage. I actually did a LinkedIn post uh, last year uh, about this matter. He managed to take uh, leverage and lock in a very uh, substantial amount of money at uh, close to zero interest rates. Because of the balance sheet of uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, in the last few years, they have been issuing 10, 15, 20 years bonds at less than or around 1% uh, per annum uh, cost of capital. And of course, if you take that you know, position, the best edge not to stay exposed to the fluctuation of the currency is to match the liability with an asset. And in this case, the assets are this company that incidentally generate majority of the revenue from outside Japan. So it's the edge of an edge. You basically have company priced in Japanese yen that has a very cheap cost of funding disposition for Berkshire Hathaway, revenue coming from outside, U.S. denominated revenues, and very, you know, at the time of investment, uh, they were even uh, much cheaper. Japan had a good run uh, as the stock market in general, and the Japanese trading houses participated into the trellis. So he invested, I think, uh, when the dividend yields on aggregate of these uh, five position, I believe here, was like 7%. And just the dividend was covering seven times what he was paying as cost of financing that very investment. So it was a no-brainer. Uh, since then, the dividend got increased, the stock price increased. So it's a difficult to replicate kind of uh, trade that he managed to pull out in size using the, 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 the balance sheet. I think he really appreciate the company's management and the stability and the business model. I, I personally hired a former uh, employee in my previous job uh, as uh, head of uh, uh, trading for Amy in, in uh, APAC. Uh, 
from one of these companies, and I had to appreciate how the strong culture of this company perme permeate in the business environment and really a benchmark, a point of reference for, for the Japan business life. So it's, I understand the angle uh, from Bus Buffett, but the financial place was just brilliant, you know, very, very healthy. Yeah, it's kind of a very interesting that you that you mentioned about that because I think people they, they just read the top line, but uh, if you drill down, indeed, there is like it's almost like a carry trade with equities that that Warren Buffett did. Is that is that uh, is my understanding correct? Correct. Is a very he rarely invests outside the U.S. because he trusts the legal system. He understands how it works, but I think it was a too good. To, to miss given all the pieces coming together with the financing staying cheap and you know this company trading at very reasonable valuation. He has been reading these reports of this company for like 50 years. I mean, it's just uh, you know the amount of knowledge that he has, even though he's outside the US, uh, these are very international company. They have some investments you know in joint venture together in piece of the business. They're very uh, well-known company uh, uh, outside Japan for the for the experts. So you know it it was a carry trade that triggered I think the investment, but was a very very sensible and Buffett style kind of uh, uh, setup. Understood. Well, now that we understood why you did not follow up on on this uh, Warren Buffett move, could I ask you about what are you doing at the moment then, and uh, what are your focus? And uh, what do you think we should uh, be uh, cautious about or mindful about? So I think, I mean, from, from our perspective, you know, in, in enhanced value fund, we, we, we try to build around, uh, you know, four, four, four blocks, uh, if you want. Our ideal investment is uh, nothing that we talk about in this, in this podcast so far. So it has nothing to do with, you know, the macro has nothing to do with if the market is expensive or not. It is looking at, you know, individual company. We're striving to look at, uh, and our preference is to invest all our, uh, you know, portfolio into small to mid-sized company with strong tailwinds, long runways, and conservative balance sheets, meaning low debt and not a lot of risks uh, of leverage uh, in the company. So if you manage to find these, uh, call it gems, and, 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 and you manage to deploy capital at the right time into this business, basically they should be able to defeat, you know, the macro headwind, the currency devaluation, whatever, you know, uh, things that can happen. It's very difficult. And we have currently invested in four of these uh, uh, companies and uh, uh, we are looking to find or get a reasonable price to the other that we have in our uh, watch list. Uh, the second opportunity that uh, the second block that we we look at are industries or sectors that are inflection points. So here maybe the macro hint is appreciated. So there are like the you know container uh, sector or the semiconductor sector, the typically or energy, which is the biggest sector for for us uh, in the fund. They go through cycle, and if you manage to get into at the right time of the cycle, then you have a few years of of enhanced tailwind that is gonna. Uh, lift uh, evaluation. If we, if you think about energy in the sector, energy is trading below uh, ten times earnings uh, is the cheapest sector 
currently uh, in the S&P 500. And, you know, ETH is cheap, not because valuation have peaked, but is cheap because, uh, you know, prices uh, are low, then you are in uh, a good, uh, potentially a good run. The third thing is, uh, you know, looking at opportunities as stocks that have been beaten down. So irrespective, again, of the macro and of the sector, there are certain situations where there are restructuring and things like that. And, uh, you know, you, you, if you pick up the, your close, if you pick up the stocks close to the end of the bleeding where the valuation is unreasonably low, then again, you have a margin of safety and you can ride to the mere reversion to a normalization of level. And, you know, to some extent to the China market that we discussed before. This is something that uh, it can well happen in the next uh, few quarters, few months, you know, as a normalization really of, of uh, there is alpha to be generated in that case there. And lastly, we look at the overall portfolio, overall portfolio, and we kind of stress test all these positions that we have individual to the uh, macro setup. So if inflation is going to spike, interest rates are going to keep going up or down, how these uh, great, what we think are great investment, how are they going to do in whatever extreme environment, in whatever stormy environment? And, and you know, we look at this with, the, with in mind the Warren Buffett kind of rule of investing, which is never lose money. And, and you know, famously said the second rule is never forget the first rule. So we really want to make sure that maybe we miss some opportunities, but if the ties goes out, we have a strong like uh, portfolio. So that's how you know, we look at it and uh, how we can uh, build a, a, a portfolio that is uh, uh, resilient. Thank you. So you mentioned about like uh, the energy sector being the cheapest sector in the S&P at the moment. Um, so is that a hint on perhaps one of the few examples uh, you'd like to bring uh, this to life to, to our audience uh, compared to, I don't know, AI, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I think energy has uh, many, many characteristics that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it justify for us the reason to be, to be significantly overweight. If you look at, uh, I've got a, you know, a chat with uh, our compliance team and we prefer not to mention, you know, specific stocks. And I know that also you guys uh, have, uh, you know, uh, are, are okay with that. But going a bit into the specifics, we were invested a couple of years ago in uh, the big uh, cap names, the Exxon, the Chevron. They were trading at valuation very, very low, like five, six times earnings. And, you know, we were post-COVID already, so the market had normalized. The price of oil was like, you know, reasonable. And so it was not justified. This energy, oil and gas, fossil fuels for the, you know, next five, ten years are going to be, uh, and they say, Hopefully, meaning if we accelerate the transition that is much needed, is where you know we have five, ten years of significant dependence of uh, fossil fuels that we need for prosperity as humanity. So it's 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 a big comp. This big cap were representing that. Then they appreciated quite a bit during uh, uh, 2022, and we rotated into smaller cap names uh, still in the U.S., preferably into shale, which is which has a very strong reaction to oil price. So if the oil price stays supported, the shale small companies should kind of result. There are a number of uh, companies. Many became debt-free over the last few quarters because they paid down debt. 
so are very more very much more resilient than they used to be when the previous crash happened so it's an element of uh, security that we have and most recently we are uh, rotating some of these you know uh, profits into the transportation sector so if you look at the you know shipping oil shipping uh, market we look at it still as energy uh, related and uh, there is basically no uh, no supply the, the order book of uh, oil tankers is at uh, historical low you have a fleet that is being used beyond their reasonable age they need a lot of vessel need to be are close to scrapping age and the setup the demand supply is just very compelling uh, on the back of a, a strong and increasing uh, oil demand uh, growth for the next uh, five years six years so we see the energy as uh, a sector where uh, there are more opportunity than money literally banks don't want to finance anything that is uh, fossil related funds uh, are forced by you know the esg dictate not to invest there and we feel has gone a bit too far because we don't have an alternative so we are actually cornering a market uh, that needs resources to uh, thrive and satisfy what is the demand. So it's not that these companies are doing that just because they're evil. There's, there is demand for, uh, for this uh, product. The, the goal should be to take the demand, reduce the demand for these polluting products. Uh, so, so we see there uh, a lot of uh, uh, opportunities uh, that we express in uh, small, mainly now in small cap North American place and uh, uh, oil shipping. Thank you very much. I know also from our previous previous podcast that uh, things like consumer staples and you often say like uh, what is boring is interesting actually. So w- would you also like qualify like the consumer staples are also as part of this kind of like uh, overbeaten sector and it would be like some gems over there or you have a different view from uh, what you just described think, about the energy sector? I think so. They have been, consumer staples have been doing not very well uh, recently as a, as, a, as a sector because it's not sexy, it's not AI, and typically it's trading at a valuation that is justified by the high margins and, uh, you know, high return on capital that they have. However, the, the problem that uh, we see with the sector, uh, if you take a company like Procter & Gamble, for example, is trading at 25 times earnings, which you know, it's not a crazy valuation for, for a company like that. But the stress test scenario in case of interest rates going much higher and putting pressure on valuations downwards, you know, I see a world where next year Procter & Gamble can trade at 15 times earnings. So if that happens, we are a buyer of Procter & Gamble. At this level, we see more compelling risk reward in other uh, in other parts of the market that are more resilient in case of this extreme uh, you know scenario that I just mentioned you know happening. So a lot of great company, not overpriced, probably is going to be uh, you know doing good, but not uh, not a scream buy or sell. So in a, in our we we have a mandate from our investors to look for uh, more interesting uh, risk reward than that. 
Great. Well, uh, we come to the end of this uh, podcast. I think there are a lot of information about how to navigate the overvalue market uh, dilemma uh, and where to find value uh, in this overpriced market. Do you have any conclusion or anything you would like to add, Stefano, before we close the podcast? No, I'm, I'm very, very happy to engage with uh, your audience. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, hopefully, we, we find some common interest with some of the listeners and and readers of the of the podcast and uh, very my dm is open and uh, very happy to uh, to discuss with uh, like-minded people so if any of these uh, short uh, conversation trigger some thoughts feel free to shoot them over and and we'll pick it up offline great thank you very much indeed we're going to put your contact details in the uh description of the uh, of the podcast and also uh, for the audience if you want to reach out to me too if you want to have another podcast uh, with another title we'd like to invite again uh, Stefano Grasso as soon as possible and uh, thank you very much that was it for me thanks Stefano cheers bye thank you thanks for listening to IBKR podcasts as always we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com and if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers visit ibkr.com we offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.